Hello, everyone, and welcome to Strictly JoJo, a podcast dedicated to JoJo's bizarre adventure. My name is Courtney. And Konokaroda! This is episode 89, and we're reviewing part three, Stardust Crusaders, The Lovers, part two. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode on anything that's happened in the JoJo anime. I know we talked last time in the last episode about how The Lovers Part 1 felt extended, felt like it was kind of dragged on just for the sake of having a two-parter. I kind of felt that way more about The Lovers Part 2. Like some of it just kind of felt like it was a little dragged on, but I feel like I'm being crazy because there was way more that happened in this episode than the previous one. I don't know. What did you think about this? Yeah, I didn't really lover this arc (laughs) oh because i've had the same feelings about this episode episode as i did with uh, part one is that certain parts of it just dragged on it just felt like they wanted to really stretch out things in this episode and it didn't really feel that necessary especially because i didn't think the battle between hierophant green and silver chariot with the lovers was that interesting I mean, it did highlight the Crusaders' ability to strategize and think two steps ahead of their enemies. But as I said last time, I think this could all have been condensed into one episode. Yeah, it really wasn't an epic battle by any means. If you boil it down to the core of what this battle was, it was just Hierophant Green and Silver Chariot figuring out which of the multiple enemy stand users was the real one. That was it. It was just a guessing game or not even a guessing game, but, you know, just trying to determine which one was the real one. And then it it was easily defeated after that. I guess the more engaging part, though, with this episode is that you start to see Jotaro's frustration and rage against Steely Dan build up as he's continuing to exploit him, thinking that he has the upper hand against this group, which because of his overconfidence, it kind of merits the absolute triumph of the climactic beatdown that Steely Dan gets at the end. So I would say that's probably the more intriguing part of this episode to me. I completely agree. I think that's the saving grace of this episode where I actually really enjoyed it was because we're seeing Jotaro in a super vulnerable position, a a position that he's almost never in. Even when he's up against some of the most difficult enemy stand users, he's still always feels like he has the upper hand or that he knows what to do or he's going to come out on top here it's just like him getting his ass kicked we all know in the at the end of the day he's going to get his revenge but there's nothing he can do around that without having to hurt joseph in the process yeah he's essentially powerless at this point but it's all for the good of protecting his own family honestly it's jothro in a very embarrassing situation like, I'm trying to think, what other situations are there where Jotaro is, like, straight up embarrassed? Like, he may not seem embarrassed, but the situation is embarrassing for him and kind of, like, makes him look like an idiot. But he's not. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's a situation where he could look like an idiot, feel like an idiot, you know, feel embarrassed. But, yeah, I'm just trying to think, like, what other situation has he ever been in that's like this? Yeah, what's been worse than being a fucking bridge? <laughs> All right, JoJo fans. Hang on to your receipts as we crusade into our synopsis and discussion for Part 3, Episode 17, The Lovers, Part 2. Not wanting an audience for their theatrical production of Insane in the Membrane, Kakyoin and Polnareff decide to do a rooftop surgery of Josephu's brain, which has been overtaken by multiple lovers cosplayers and leaving it difficult for Hierophant Chariot 
to find out who the real Mr. Lover's Crabs is. Kakuen decides to make a SpongeBob reference of his own by having Hierophant Green stretch out his Squidward tentacles to track down the OG Lover's cosplayer and force it out of Josephu's body, allowing the geriatric Joestar to squeeze Dio's sinister Squidward Jr. between his Hamon sandwich. Meanwhile, Jotaro continues to kowtow to his conniving contender, going so far as to get beat down for a GTA jewelry heist so that the Dan of Steel can get a Rock of Bling. But as things go south for Dio's dastardly disciple, Jotaro readies up to send Dan the bill for all of his racked up misdeeds, leaving the steely son of a gun to resort to dirty tactics such as becoming Jotaro's newest of lovers or giving a local girl an earful, both of which are thwarted by Hierophant Platinum, respectively and respectfully. With his succubus of a stand left in a solitary state, Dan of Steel is left having to pay his balance for Jotaro's escort service by catching some star-platinumed hands. And all sales are final. And now into our next segment of the show, Zeti Music and or Tarot Reference, where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music and not-so-ordinary world of tarot cards. But there are no new references this episode, as we continue seeing the battle with Steely Dan and the lovers play out. I did notice that in the Lovers Part 2 eye catch, it shows the lovers or the lovers um, again, but this time it shows like multiple. Yeah, so it's a different visual. And so when we get to the stand stats, obviously we, we won't cover the lovers again, but I guess we can share that image for anyone who's interested in our Discord, which if you are not a member, the link to join is in the description. Now it's time for the JoJo meme rundown, where we list each new JoJo meme that appeared in this episode. Technically, Jotaro Bridge is referenced again in the beginning of this episode, but we already talked about it in The Lovers Part 1, so we don't have any memes. But as always, if we missed any, reach out and let us know. The episode starts off with another acknowledgement of the Jotaro Bridge. So I would say that that's kind of a meme, but... Not really, because we talked about that in the last, last episode, but Steely Dan does say, first thing, you make a nice bridge. Straight to Jotaro's face. I mean, what better material than Jotaro's lush, heavenly body? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's probably safer than an actual constructed bridge. You know it's going to be sturdy, and it's not going to let you down. Um, really quick, we uh, always check to see if they use the uh, phrase Jojo or the name Jojo in this episode. I didn't catch it. So yeah, maybe we're straying away from the use of Jojo. But going back to Jotaro and how useful he is, um, not only is he a bridge, but apparently he's also a back scratcher. Why is his scratching so crackly though? Crackly? (laughs) Like on Steely Dan? Yeah. Like it's not like a smooth scratch. It's, It's like... Like he's scratching glass or something. Well, it's probably because Jotaro is so strong that even a gentle scratch probably feels Oh, insane. that's right. Because then Joseph feels the residual effect. I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's for sure. That's just my like me pulling that out of my ass. But yeah, Joseph does feel like a tickle on his back when Jotaro scratches him. So maybe he is scratching him really gently. Maybe Steely Dan just has a really crusty back. Yeah, well, that's that's great. <laughs> and I love that part where as Joseph is like wiggling around because he feels the tickle, the crowd gathers and thinks that Joseph is a crazy old man and starts to like d- give him money, like donate money to him because they're oh like they're they're saying oh poor guy, you know he's he's going senile or whatever. And it's moments like these that remind you that Joseph is an older character 
Mm-hmm. Sometimes he just blends right in with the Crusaders, um, and he still feels like the same Joseph that we know and love from part two. And then you see these, and you're like, all right, yeah, he is like much older than everybody else. So the episode's kind of interesting because we switch back and forth between Polnareff and Kakyoin, and then Steely Dan and Jotaro um, multiple times. So I'll do my best to kind of guide us through all of the the switches between the two uh, scenarios. Um, it starts off with Steely Dan saying in some way, shape, or form that he knows that Polnareff and Kakyoin have shrunk their stands down. And I find that interesting um, because I figured he wouldn't really know that concretely until they've arrived at wherever Lovers is actually at in, jo- in Joseph's head. Um, but then when they get there, they do discover that the flesh bud has already taken over and Joseph's like insides his head, whatever, or it's covered in tentacles. Well, then in that case, wouldn't the flesh bud have some kind of control over Joseph's thoughts at that point, similar to how it controlled Kakyoin and Polnareff? Yeah, I, that's what I was wondering because there's a lot of, um, I don't know if it's discrepancies or like differences or whatever between the way the flesh bud is operating in Joseph's head versus how it operated in Polnareff and Kakyoin's heads. Um, because if you recall, I think for Kakyoin, he was going to die from the flesh bud because it had just pierced so deeply into his brain. Mm-hmm. But maybe they didn't know at the time that his brain was probably also filled with tentacles. But when the, when Jotaro and Star Platinum extracted it, and then Joseph like you know gets it rid of it permanently with Hamon, um, it seems like it's much smaller and had like a giant spike in it. But again, maybe the rest of the tentacles were in Kakyoin's head. We just didn't see them. And then when the flesh bud was extracted those tentacles died off. That's my guess anyway. Because I think Kakyoin was like days away from dying, wasn't he? But then Joseph's like minutes away from dying here. True. I don't know how they got that one to speed up so quickly. (laughs) I don't know. Rocky forgot, of course. (laughs) That's what it always defaults to. Then in an even more confusing fashion, we learn that lovers can morph to disguise itself as um, different stands using Joseph's brain cells. So not only can it create multiple copies of itself uh, using brain cells, it's also morphing into another stand, in this case, Hierophant Green, using the brain cells that it has access to. I find that very interesting um, because, I don't know, is that like a part of the stand or is that just like a skill that the stand has where it can like mold these brain cells to look like something else? Um... Yeah, I'm not too sure. I'm trying to refer back to the tarot interpretations of lovers. Uh, maybe because of lovers' partnership nature, its relationship nature, that's what kind of makes it have this ability, or it's that's inspiring its ability to create copies of itself. Oh, I could see that. But I don't know, I, I think... The lovers is just, Araki just gave it too many things um, just for the sake of creating an interesting plot for this enemy stand. I mean, it admits that it's the weakest stand. Steely Dan admits that it's the weakest stand, but I, th- I guess it would need something that it can do besides just controlling someone's head. Kind of like Plankton when he goes into SpongeBob's head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so switching back to Jotaro and Steely Dan, we now have Jotaro... Uh, 
upgrading or being promoted to shoe shine. So he's shining Steely Dan's shoes and then Steely Dan kicks him in the face. And that's when Jotaro starts writing down each offense so that he won't forget, calling it Steely Dan's tab. I love how Jotaro's face is constantly in shadow in these scenes, even as he's shining Steely Dan's shoes, just showing that his rage is building in his fervent need to protect his family, to protect Joseph, and also his fervent need to kick Steely Dan's ass. Uh, so I know this is like a, a running thing throughout this episode with Jotaro keeping the receipts on the stuff that Steely Dan's doing to him, but I, I would say it pays off really well at the end of this, even if I don't think that Steely Dan is too compelling of an enemy. Yeah, it's kind of like next level anger in anime when a character's eyes are shrouded behind like a shadow mm -hmm. or under a hat or something. It's one thing to see them look pissed, but when you can't see their eyes, you know that it's like the worst rage building up. Then we switch back to Kakyoin and Polnareff and we have uh, Hierophant Green using Emerald Splash multiple times. And the first thing I think about is won't that risk damaging Joseph's brain? That's true, but then it's just stand attacks right it's not affecting someone's actual body well star platinum beats up steely dan at the end of this oh yeah stands can impact huh. human bodies so that's why i'm like you're it's literally splash damage <laughs> how are you able to control this so it won't cause any damage to joseph's brain maybe it's joseph's brain is already pretty damaged anyways <laughs> maybe it's co so covered in tentacles that he knows that it'll hit the tentacles before it hits anywhere in the actual brain as lovers keeps multiplying via brain cell copies or whatever um until polnareff and kakyoin can't figure out which one is the real stand i can't help but think about harvest doesn't this look and feel like Harvest? Oh, right. Like Harvest was yellow and Lovers is yellow and like small and an annoying voice. And that's like what's going on with Lovers. But Harvest was more so just she gets you wanting to collect things. Yeah, right? Harvest was intentionally a stand made of multiples. Kind of like uh, Okuyasu's older brother. Bad Company, is that the, mm -hmm. the stand name? Oh, like the little soldiers. Yeah. Uh, that's that's the right that's the correct name right that's not the yeah. localized name <laughs> no yeah it's, it's bad company <laughs> okay um so yeah i just i get harvest vibes when i see lovers um but i guess in more of a like insect bug looking way and then polnareff gets attacked by lovers and he's bleeding in real life or i guess outside of joseph's body and i thought this this scene was really nice because you have polnareff obviously bleeding from from the trauma or from the the attack and then joseph tells him implores him to stop because he can't stand to see polnareff get hurt just to save him and that's really kind of joseph because as we've always talked about he prioritizes protecting his family and his loved ones and he's formed a bond with these crusaders so he's really concerned about polnareff's well-being but then polnareff being an equally kind-hearted person as we saw in his interactions with anyaba responds saying that he can't stand uh, he he doesn't want to just stand around watching joseph die like this so if you think about it like polnareff doesn't have any family left and the Crusaders are kind of like his only family at this this point in time. So watching the two of them kind of have this back and forth saying like, no, don't do this to save me. And the other one saying, no, I got to do this to save you. It was kind of a, a nice moment. Yeah, it's just one of those moments in Stardust Crusaders 
that really builds up the bonds that form between all of these different characters who come from different families and different backgrounds, but united in one front. And so they start to care for each other more and are willing to watch the other's back. Uh, I guess as an offshoot of that for this episode, I think one of the things that's prevalent in this episode is the concept of, or the theme of strengths and weaknesses uh, with Steely Dan thinking that he has a weak stand, but knows how to play to its strengths when faced against the Crusaders. And later on, you have the Crusaders kind of turn the tables on Steely Dan with them knowing the lover's true weaknesses. Uh, but I guess this is an example of the Crusaders' strengths, right? Their their relationships, their, their bonds, uh, their willingness to look out for each other. And I think that works in their favor when they're faced against Steely Dan. I totally agree because then you have the part later when Jotaro is about to uh, put the smack down on Steely Dan, telling Steely Dan that, hey, you must not know Kakyoin very well. Mm-hmm. Because Jotaro at this point is, has created such a bond with Kakyoin that he doesn't even need to know with absolute certainty that Kakyoin's figured this whole thing out and he's going to you know overcome the situation. He just knows. He just knows... Um, you know, deep down inside through his experiences with Kakyoin that there is a way that Kakyoin will find um, to defeat this enemy stand user. Before we move on to the second half of the episode, there was one scene in this first half that kind of affirmed my opinion that this two-part lover's arc kind of drags without it needing to be in two parts. It's when lover's continues to multiply and it says to Kakyoin and Polnareff, or to their stands, the weakest of all, in reference to its stand, is also also the most, 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 et cetera, et cetera, terrifying of all. But it just kept going with the most part. <laughs> yeah. I felt like that took up maybe a, a minute's worth of screen time. And that's where I feel like they just... Had to add this in in order to fill up the episode's like twenty minute runtime. Uh, I, I guess there was some comedic effect to it with it just repeating itself over and over again, but it, it just kind of dragged after a while for me. I think maybe the intent was to show like how many of the lovers were there, like yeah. just showing like the infinite, seemingly infinite number of stand copies. Um, but you're right; it did feel. A little excessive. The, all they all they needed to do to show us how many there were is just pan out and show us how many there were. Exactly. <laughs> but they just wanted to stretch out the audio a bit too. Well, on top of that, as we talked about in the beginning of the episode, we have the eye catch where the updated visual is the lovers with like multiple copies. So there, they showed us there. <laughs> as we jump back into the episode, Steely Dan has Jotaro steal some jewelry. And then Steely Dan turns around and gets him caught by shouting that he's shoplifting. And a bunch of workers come over and say, who, the Asian kid? And then I'm like, oh, yeah, Jotaro's Asian. (laughs) (laughs) The Asian kid. Kind of like how earlier I said I forget sometimes that Joseph is really old. Sometimes I forget what everyone's ethnicity is because they just kind of all feel like, you know, just like a group of people. But if you think about it, the Crusaders are very different, um, except Kakyoin, who's also a Japanese student, just like Jotaro. It's a very international team. It is. 
So then Jotaro takes a, a fucking beating from those jewelry store guys and then gets thrown out of the store. And this is just so unusual for Jotaro because he's always staying cool in every situation. He always has his act together, even in the most dire situations. And then here he's just getting his ass whooped. It's so strange. But did he really feel anything? No, <laughs> probably not. If he, if he didn't feel anything with the bridge, he didn't feel anything here. But then we get one of the rare moments of Jotaro smiling and laughing as he chuckles to himself when he senses that it's almost pay time or payback time mm -hmm. for Steely Dan. Um, Steely Dan tells him that Joseph's going to die soon. And that's when, as we talked about earlier, Jotaro responds saying that Steely Dan doesn't know the Crusaders very well, especially Kakyoin. Um, it's kind of interesting hearing him complimenting Kakyoin in a way, but I think Jotaro and Kakyoin are kind of the closest or Kakyoin's the one that Jotaro is the closest to because they're both Japanese students and there have been a couple scenes in past episodes where you always see them as a pair together uh there's the one the yellow temperance yeah right, with the little scene yeah um obviously that was an episode based around a pair of them uh, so, yeah, I feel like Jotaro is probably the most familiar with Kakyoin. And just, again, he has the utmost confidence that he and the other Crusaders will pull through this. Uh, but, yeah, it's kind of weird seeing Jotaro laughing since it's a rare occasion. Uh, I think we saw him crack a smile back in Wheel of Fortune. But he, all out laughing here was kind of jarring, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was jarring but ominous because right. you know what's mm -hmm. about to happen to Steely Dan, even if Steely Dan doesn't realize it. So the stand fight, I guess you could say, um, comes to a close when Kakyoin uses Hierophant Green's tentacles as feelers to basically inspect every copy of Lovers until he finds the real stand. Um, and then Joseph uses Overdrive to destroy the flesh bud. Which is great seeing him use Hamon again. Hamon Overdrive. I, I yeah. love that. I love him shouting it and I love hearing the Hamon noise. But that kind of makes me wonder why he didn't use Hamon to kill the flesh bud in Kakyoin's head that we talked about earlier instead of having Jotaro extract it first. Maybe because Joseph is in control of his own body. So he could be more precise in that sense. Like, I don't know if he could do the same thing on Kakyoin without causing harm to Kakyoin. That's true. And it was their first exposure, their first real exposure to a flesh bud, even if, like, Avdol, you know, maybe filled them in on some stuff. Um, so maybe he didn't want to risk accidentally killing Kakyoin by doing anything drastic. But then you also kind of wonder with, like, Polnareff or even other stand users um, that may be under... Dio's control. Although really it's just Kakyoin and Polnareff who are like truly under under control against their will. So when Lovers is defeated by um, Hierophant Green and leaves Joseph's body, it says that Jotaro has no way of knowing the stand was defeated. Um, but then when it switches back to where Steely Dan and Jotaro are, Jotaro can easily tell because Steely Dan is fucking bleeding. Oh, right. I'm sure Jotaro <laughs> would just see that blood and be like, yeah, you got your ass kicked. Mm -hmm. Maybe Steely Dan was just trying to bluff. Uh, I also noted, I think later he's begging Jotaro for forgiveness as the tides begin to turn against him. More licking. 
And he says, pero, pero, almost like reto, reto. I think we've been talking about how there's so many instances of licking in in this part. Like tongues, wiggly tongues. (laughs) Araki loves wiggly tongues in part three. Maybe he was just trying to practice his tongue licking, like drawing tongue licking. (laughs) I don't know what what you'd need that skill for, but. And he does all this, Steely Dan, um, does all this to buy time until Lovers reaches his location with the intent of like entering Jotaro's head. But you get that awesome, awesome visual where Lovers, this teeny tiny Lovers, is about to go into Jotaro's ear and then it turns slow-mo as Star Platinum pops out from behind Jotaro and then his theme song starts playing Mm -hmm. and then Star Platinum grabs Lovers between his two fingers just like when Jotaro fired that bullet at his own head in the first episode of part three. Yeah, I was going to say that was a great callback to... Star Platinum's precision. 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 Dan then tries to flip the script. Um, I guess maybe his plan B and tries to take over some little girl's brain, but he doesn't realize that Hierophant Green's tentacle is still tied to lovers. And Jotaro says it extends all the way back to where Kakyoin is. And I'm thinking, has Kakyoin always had that insane of range? I didn't Mm. think his range was that big. Like, I know that lovers has a crazy range because as Dan said in the last episode because it's so weak it makes up for that with some range but hierophant green is really strong and i know it can extend pretty far but i did not think it could extend that far yeah i mean the jojo wiki uh, lists hierophant green's type as a long distance stand and i think its body is just made up of like different membranes or coils it's made right? up of melons so, <laughs> it, the pattern looks like melons <laughs> so i guess in that sense it can kind of manipulate its body to like stretch out as much as it can although my thing is we don't see this tentacle or coil from hierophant green until jotaro mentions it it's just weird because the previous shot we have star platinum grabbing the lovers with its fingers right yeah yeah that's that's a good point because star platinum could have like whipped the lovers far away and then that would have like pulled kakyo in or something after all of this is revealed to steely dan he then begs for forgiveness um but then jotaro says he, he tells steely dan to ask for forgiveness from Inyaba, the old lady that you killed and again, I'm like, why are they showing sympathy for Inyaba? We talked about this in the last episode. Why are they showing sympathy for an enemy stand user who not only was dedicated to Dio and tried to kill them, but was actually pulling the strings behind all of the enemy stand users before she showed up? Yeah, that's true. Is it just because Unless... she's old? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if Jotaro felt guilty that they had killed her son and that's partially what drove her to a mad rage. But then, yeah, there's the fact that she was one of Dio's most loyal disciples and wanted them all killed. But uh, also, like, her son killed Polnareff's daughter. So, like, you yeah. think Jotaro would be like, nah, I don't care about you because you're a murderer. Yeah, I guess this is supposed to be an instance of a Jojo kind of forgiving a, a former enemy. But, yeah, there's no real justification for it here. That's the difference. That is true. There's a lot of uh, there's a trend of foe turned friend in in all of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Can you imagine if Yaba joined the Crusaders? I, I think it'd be fun, especially because she and I know Polnareff is probably the the worst person for her to pair up with, but they had such a great banter. They did. 
And the episode concludes with, I think what you were trying to tell me in the last episode, <laughs> the flurry yes. of aura auras as Star Platinum punches the shit out of Steely Dan over and over again until his debt is paid. Yes, this was the only dragged out part of this episode that I absolutely loved because it just it's Jotaro and Star Platinum's time to shine. And Jotaro kept hinting throughout this episode that he had the receipts for all the shit that Steely Dan pulled on him. And so this is his payback. It's just funny because as we see in part five, Giorno needed seven pages for his muda on Chocolato. But Jotaro only needed three to defeat Steely Dan. Is that how many it was? <laughs> three pages of Aura Aura? Yeah, I think I was looking this up and the manga, um, that like the manga adaptation had this spread across three pages. And then I guess for part five, Araki wanted to top that with what is now known as the seven page Muda. I think it's a great way to end the episode. Great way to close out the Steely Dan enemy stand user arc. Um, because yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's so satisfying, not only for us as the viewer to see that revenge, but I'm sure for Jotaro to get his revenge in such a splashy way. Especially that kind of cheeky moment where Jotaro whips out the receipt as he's walking off into the sunset, kind of like that last turn of the knife in the wound. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's felt like the ending of a, of a epic Western film. And that brings us to our final thoughts for Part 3, Episode 17, The Lovers, Part 2. So, do you think this episode deserves a standing oravation? Wow. Um. So, the episode is good. I still think I kind of like the previous episode more because it was just a little more nonsensical and it was just funny and interesting seeing Jotaro get so heated over his grandfather being threatened in that way um and of course we get Jotaro Bridge this one still felt good and it was interesting and funny seeing Jotaro be put in all of these very awkward situations um but I I I don't know I think I would I I would say I enjoy the first part of the lover's arc more but still this is still a really good episode and it ends on one of the most satisfactory notes with one of the best um aura aura flurries that Star Platinum has given us and I think as a whole, and this is something that we can do for any of these part, these two-part or multiple-part enemy stand user arcs, as a whole, um, the Steely Dan Lovers arc is pretty good. Like, it's more about just finding this really, uh, or having this really big-headed, egotistical enemy stand user um, try to, you know, one-up everybody, knowing that a stand is super, super weak. But I don't think it gives us more substance than that. I think it did in the very beginning when Anyaba um, and Steely Dan kind of revealed the way that Dio operates, that his enemy stand users that he sends out against the Crusaders aren't really that important to him. They're just tools at his disposal. But beyond that, I think the only other thing that this arc gave us is uh, a good reminder that the Joestar bloodline is very strong, that Jotaro still cares about his grandfather, and that Kakyoin and Polnareff... Um, are great people to have on your team. But what about you? I thought this was a fitting end to an arc that still felt a little bit dragged out in its second act. I think the fight with the lovers in Joseph's brain was was okay. 
it did provide some interesting precedents with Hierophant Green's roping ability, which I know that will come into play in the later half of part three when Dio gets his time to shine. Uh, but I think a lot of what this episode or this arc represents is the strengths and weaknesses, not just of like figuring out Steely Dan's strengths and weaknesses, but seeing it on the Crusader side and realizing that there are many strengths that have kept this team together. It's not just this ragtag group of people who just happen to come together to try and fight off one of humanity's most evil threats, but it's a group that has meshed well together and understand each other where they can confidently take on any enemy that stands in their way and succeed in taking them down. And in that sense, I'm glad that we got a gratifying comeback from Jotaro at the end, whose confidence in his comrades' abilities is rewarded as he and Star Platinum get to aura the living daylights out of a very irritating antagonist. And I guess in that sense, if there's anything else that we can learn from this episode, it's to remember to do your homework, do your research, right? Because <laughs> uh, Steely Dan clearly didn't do enough research on the Crusaders, but the Crusaders did enough research and homework on Steely Dan to know how to defeat him. Just as we're ramping up into our post and Yaba set of enemy stand users with these multiple part arcs, I guess, um, we're about to head into the sun. Yes. One of the weirdest, <laughs> dumbest stands. No, this is <laughs> one of my absolute favorite episodes in part three. Well, then look forward to that. Um, it's going to be a very interesting discussion going from the lovers to the sun and then back into more very intense stand users. Thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. We appreciate you guys, and we love you so, so much. Subscribe to Strictly JoJo on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash thestrictlyseries and tune into Strictly Anime, our other podcast for anime reviews and discussions. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, stay safe. Stay healthy, stay weeb. To be continued.